Welcome back to Rethinking Politics. We're glad to have you here with us for episode 53. You know, as you may have noticed, both me and Dan are are in our normal recording spots. We're both safe and sound at home after what feels like a month and a half of trips, but I might be slightly exaggerating there. But we're It was a lot of trips. Between the two of us. I've been us. gone a long time. <laughs> and then you were gone before that. Mm-hmm, That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But but we're here and we're we're ready to rock. And um, what we wanted to talk about is is in many ways old news, in the sense that it's been going on for a while, but it's still absolutely relevant. Right. And it is. You'd hope it's old news. Yeah. And it is well. <laughs> the numbers weren't increasing. <laughs> and it's it's what people have been calling the uh, Great Resignation, or the current employment, not even crisis, but a. Uh, celebration you might call it the the situation is is that right now we have a record high uh, job openings it just cleared 10 million job openings in the United States and a much and a, a much lower number of of than that I think about 8.7 million people who are unemployed and so there are more jobs by over a million than there are people looking for jobs or potentially looking for jobs and the result of that is a number of things, you know, but the biggest thing is that companies are going out of their way to incentivize people to come work for them. So we've got increased hourly wages, you know, you've got articles about, you know, McDonald's, Chipotle, Walmart, Amazon that are all lifting their uh, their starting salaries, their starting hourly wages in order to uh, draw employees. You've got... Uh, companies that are doing crazy things like offering, you know, 200 up to $1,000 uh, signing bonuses if you come work for them. There are companies where they're offering things like a free meal or even cash just to show up for an interview, like crazy, crazy times in terms of in terms of the employment market. But something that hands down people in general are pretty happy about for obvious reasons, because it's, it's rare that employees have that kind of leverage, that kind of bargaining power. And so it's something that's that's definitely refreshing to see and something that's a little bit different than, say, the housing crisis. Because with the housing crisis, for most people, it's it's difficult. You know, you know you've got a lot of people who aren't able to, to, to find a home, a lot of people who aren't able to get what they need or get what they want. But with this with this scenario, it's a little bit different because for the most part, everyone's better off. You know what I mean? This is one of those, you know, glasses half full scenarios. Everyone is winning because everyone is winning. You know, wages are going up. People have leverage. People have opportunities. People can go leave a job that's terrible and find a better job. And so it just looks up and up and up. And, and so we want to, we want to talk about that a little bit. We want to dispel your hopes that it's exactly that. (laughs) If you, if you looked at that and you're like, that sounds way too positive, you're correct. Your your cynicism has done you some service here. <laughs> so I want to read, <clears throat> I'm going to read a clip from a CNN article. I apologize, I'm sick. I'm going to be coughing a little bit and clearing my throat a lot. I also have a cat in my lap. Um, uh, this is from a CNN article. This is an opinion piece written by Jill Filopovic. I think I'd guess that's how you say it. This is from two months I'm ago. I'm pretty back sure it's, when yeah, the numbers, it's pronounced Jill. 
<laughs> Thank you, Brad. I'm just here I to help. I'm just counted here to that help. name before. The Filipovic wasn't, wasn't a problem. It wasn't the problem. It was the Jill. It's the Jill. Um, it's titled, The Real Reason Employers Can't Hire Enough Workers. And I'm going to quote from it a little bit because it, I think it sets up some fun things. And again, it's from CNN. We really enjoy CNN. Um, this is this is their explanation of it, right? They're looking at this phenomenon. They go, there's tons of open jobs. There's lots of people saying, no, we don't want those jobs. And, uh, and there's, you need an explanation for that. Many Republicans see these numbers and conclude the problem is unemployment payments that are, in their estimation, doled out to lazy people unwilling to work. That's, we appreciate that. Jill, you've, you've painted half of the argument, right? The Republicans think this. Uh, she continues later, the solutions are not that complicated. A $15 federal minimum wage is the baseline. Really, we should triple it, it being the minimum wage, and do away with the tipped minimum wage entirely. High-quality universal child care should be at the top of the government's to-do list to ensure that no parent has to choose between work and their children's care. Next on that list should be paid sick and vacation days, paid parental leave, and laws mandating predictable work schedules. And workplaces simply need to be more humane with employers and bosses treating their employees like trustworthy adults, not potentially naughty children in need of constant control and hyper-surveillance. Now, now, Dan, before you go full cynical on, on Jill, I would like to, to say a couple of things real quick. In, in defense of Jill, in defense of of people who are celebrating this time, because, because sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like I'm in that camp. Like, first of all, I... <clears throat> Thank you, Dan, for warning that you were going to cough so that my cough would be covered. I'm, yeah. I, I'm fascinated by what's going on right now, and I think that, I think that there is at least some reason to celebrate because people are reconsidering their relationship with their employers, their relationship with their employees, if they're employers. And there's, you know, we talked about the migrations before, people moving out of the big cities people wanting to work from home. There are a lot of very real changes that were spurred by COVID and a lot of the related things that are actually good things. Like there are some good changes that are happening. And I'm I'm glad that people have the opportunity to have leverage, to have the chance to work at a better job. I think all of those things are absolutely good things. Unquestionably. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. and so just because we're cynical doesn't mean we were we're against any of those things, and we don't believe what the Republicans were arguing, that it's just because unemployments are being doled out to lazy people. We think it's much more complicated than that, but we also think it's more complicated than than Jill's solution. Okay, now, Dan, you now you go. <laughs> I appreciate that. No, and you're absolutely right that, that there – she's not wrong that some Republicans will look at that and say – will look at the situation and they'll go – Man, people are so lazy. You, and, but, but that, the problem with this is not necessarily that the Republicans are right and the Democrats are wrong or anything along those lines. The problem with it is both the, the way that the, that she's presented the Republicans as thinking as, well, these people just don't want to work and you need to, you need to goad them into working. They're, they're lazy or whatever. They're unwilling to work, as she says it is an incomplete picture. 
And then her own picture of, of, well, actually, if you just paid them a ton of money, <laughs> you, you triple the minimum wage, which, I mean, we've talked about the minimum wage before. The minimum wage, actually, there are very few people getting paid the minimum wage in reality. Very few people. Now, if you tripled it, you would cover an enormous group of people. <laughs> that would, that would affect a ton of people. <laughs> um, and the, the child health care, all these things that she's proposing, all of these things would make work more feasible, more rewarding, right? So they're saying her, her opinion is not that people are lazy. It's that people are not being treated well enough by their employers in one way or another through payment or through the way they, they micromanage them and so on. And as Brad was saying, people reconsidering these things, great. Reconsider your relationship with your employer. Try and work out a, uh, negotiate a better, a better agreement that's more satisfying to both of you. You can have win-win negotiations mm-hmm. with an employer, believe it or not. No, and there, and, and there are a lot of people who, who are taken advantage of by their employers because they don't examine all their options. And so having a, having a pandemic, having so many disruptions, kind of forced people to consider their options, forced people to look at it. I mean, <clears throat> I know I was I was doing some research on this earlier unrelated to this, and it's interesting because people who tend to make the most amount of money actually change companies multiple times throughout yeah. their careers. People who make a lot right. of money don't work for one company. And the reason is, is that it tends to be that the company you're working for if even even if they see your value, they won't increase how much you're making. And so, in order to fully realize your potential in terms of your of your of how much you're worth in terms of, of wages, uh-huh. you have to go work somewhere else. You have to look at your options, and it's something that people number one naturally aren't inclined to do because it sucks. And then number two. <laughs> Right. are trained not to do. People are told what you need to do is you need to find a good company and go work for that company for the rest of your life. And that's what we're trained, we're conditioned, and we're inclined to do. And so you've got a whole slew of people who are taken advantage of by companies, not necessarily because there are a whole bunch of laws that that stop them from doing things or because the company has a monopoly, but simply because they're unwilling to look at other options. And as long as you're not right. willing to look at other options, it's as if the company does has a does have a monopoly. It's as if you are an indentured, you know, servitude because there's no you have no leverage. If you're not willing to leave, you have no leverage. And so by allowing people the the option of leaving, you give them leverage, which is something that's happening here, however it happened. Right, you can there there are people who can uh, help tr- train you to negotiate for raises and things like that. And Brad's absolutely right. The, the, the primary point has to be that you can say, look, I can get paid this much elsewhere and I will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and you leave that on the table. And if they don't pay you more, you go and you work elsewhere. Um, and obviously I, there are other considerations like, is this the most important thing? You know, you've got you, you in life's life's complicated, right? You're weighing this decision against many other priorities. Maximizing your income isn't always your first choice, but that's also kind of the point here. Hey, one of the things that's so interesting about this is that is that is how one sided these economic the economic thinking is of the various articles we read on this subject, trying to figure out why people aren't doing this. Because really, when we when we think about what we're going to do, how we're going to act in the world, the process is actually quite complicated. 
We don't perceive the complexity of it because we don't experience it as necessarily as conscious thought. A lot of it happens automatically in our head. But the best way to think of the way that you make choices is within your mind, you have a hierarchy of things that you want to do, things that you could do with your time. Now, all of those things are considered on their own merits. For example, if you're hungry, you might be considering the kinds of food you could eat, right? And different foods are going to be valued differently. But you're not just considering the value of the foods, plain and simple. You're considering the value of the foods relative to their cost. Mm-hmm. And cost, and not relative just, to how far away they yeah, are. Exactly. Yes. Cost, yes. 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 Or will my kids or eat health that? costs, you know, is health it, costs, is it right. good for me? Right. Which, which at that point, the word cost starts to seem, uh, incomplete mm-hmm. or, or at least insufficient. Right. And that's because as we've, we've insisted before, economics is not distinct from other human choice. You can't take the economy, what we normally think of as the economy and set it on one side and say, this is how you think about money and stuff. And then on the other side, take uh, decisions like, am I going to take a nap or am I going to go for a jog and think of it differently? Mentally, you process them exactly the same. It's exactly the same process. And whatever value you assign to these, there isn't going to be a number. This isn't some, you can't measure how good these things are, right? But what you do end up with is which thing is at the top. Yeah. And that's and the what, thing you do. Yeah. And you you have some idea of where other things are in the list. You might say to yourself, well, I would, if I can't do that, then I would prefer to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, until you actually have to pay the cost, until you actually have to make the decision, everything is tentative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you may find that when you're confronted with a longer drive, you go, no, no, I'm not actually going to get that. Let's get plan. Let's get option C. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, and that's the way people think about things. So you're, you're thinking about how good it is within itself. You're comparing that to other items. You're thinking about the costs. You're, and you're constantly comparing these with each other, right? So. Yeah. Let me, let me give you, let me give you an, a concrete please. example. This is easy please, for me we'll because apply. I do this all the time, especially in regards to food. So, so after we're done recording this podcast, I'm going to eat some lunch. And so I, I have, I have my value scales, as it were, or my, my list of what I want most. And as Dan was saying, that list is only concrete at the very top. I want to get Little Caesars for lunch. I want a pizza and I want it from Little Caesars. And there's You're a, gonna regret that. <laughs> you think I would, but I'm not, Dan. I love Little Caesars. I understand all your concerns. I don't care. <laughs> But there's a whole slew of reasons why I'm going to do it. Number one, a Little Caesars just opened up. Today's their opening day across the street from my house. So if I die from heart disease in the next year, you know why. Um, <laughs> and then number two, I haven't eaten pizza in a while. And then I've got a whole other list of reasons. But but for whatever reason, that's at the top of my list. Now, I don't have a list of 17 things that I could eat for lunch organized from top to bottom. I have right. that at the top. And then I've got a few other things I'm interested in. I'm interested in maybe getting cereal. I'm interested in uh, in other meals that I could make, but I don't have the ingredients for. I'd love to make a casserole, but I don't want to go to Walmart and then make a casserole and then eat mm-hmm. it. 
And so those are kind of towards the top of my list after Little Caesars, but I don't know exactly where they fall in that line, but I know they're right. lower than Little Caesars. Right. There's also, I mean, we could, we could multiply factors, but there's also the fact that it's possible Brad wants something else more, but he just hasn't thought of it, right? You just haven't, it just hasn't occurred to you that you could get that. You've, you forgot about a food place or something, mm. or you've got something in your fridge. You forgot about some leftovers that you really liked. That has happened. It would actually be higher, but it, but it, <laughs> right, it's leftovers is usually where it is. Um, and all of those, w- which is not to say that this is a perfect assessment of all of the options. This is just no, and the obviously it's considered. not a perfect assessment because it's yeah. an assessment that I'm making, and so it relies right. on subjective. my ability to analyze what's best for me. And clearly, it's flawed because I chose Little Caesars, as Dan <laughs> was so kind to point out. But it doesn't change the fact that I have assessed it and decided that this is what I want, and this is what I want the most. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Which brings us to actually thinking about this scenario. So Republicans argue that the unemployment credits, unemployment credits, the unemployment benefits, there's no credits here, uh, different political topic, the unemployment benefits by increasing them, what you're doing is you're incentivizing people not to go to work. And so if I'm, if I'm someone and I'm considering a job and I don't like the job and I think I should be paid more, I think I should get more benefits, I think all these things, I have an immediate problem, right? The problem is I need money to survive. I need a way to be able to buy food. I need a way to be able to pay rent. I need a way to be able to operate in the world. And generally we do that through money. I could, of course, grow my own crops or whatever. The norm these days is money. How do I get money? Well, if I am going to go home with zero money and starve to death or work at a job I don't like, the choice is really easy for me. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to suck it up. I'm going to, I'm going to, I may hate it. I may be absolutely miserable, but at least for now, it's better than dying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? So if, the, if those are the two options and you never just have two options, I'm oversimplifying. If those are the two options, then working in a job you don't want is the obvious choice most of the time. Mm -hmm. So Republicans arguing that unemployment benefits matter seems pretty clear. If instead of working, I could go home and I can claim unemployment, how much that unemployment is, is going to be a big factor Mm -hmm. in whether or not I think going to work is worth it. If the, if the money is below a certain threshold, I might say, no, it's not worth it. And if the money is above a certain threshold, I'm going to say, yes, it is worth it. I'd prefer not to be miserable and to get paid this amount or higher. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to choose to do that. And, and before, before COVID, people did make that calculation and make that choice. And right. There were people who chose to stay on welfare as long as they were eligible to because they decided that however much that amount, even if it was a relatively small amount, was better than working, while many others right. chose not to. And and then as as the COVID employment benefits from the federal government came out, which were significant, it changed the it changed the formula drastically. I mean, you know, the Republicans, you know, that quote from from Jill earlier about the Republicans thinking people lazy people are lazy, I think is just is wrong. Whether or not the Republicans are actually thinking <laughs> that. No doubt some people do think the, that. The fact but. of the matter is, is if you can make 
you know, up to 50 grand a year off of unemployment benefits, you know, that's, that's a very strong incentive to not work. If you were making 30 grand a year or 25 grand a year, you know, working your slightly above minimum wage job at McDonald's and you get laid off at the beginning of COVID, you're able to draw unemployment and then you, you start making way more than you were making before, but you have all this free time. You don't have to work. Why wouldn't you choose that? Where's the reason not to? It's not a matter of laziness. It's a matter of cost benefit analysis. Like I would have a hard time not taking, taking that offer up. Like, why wouldn't I? Right. Right. Unless there's something immoral about taking that offer, which, which, you know, which adds some other Mm -hmm. uh, consideration, some other cost to it. Uh, I think everyone would rather be paid more and work less. Yeah, and, and generally speaking, and as to the moral reasoning, most people don't have any moral moral problem with that. Yeah, yeah, especially given the state of emergency. Yeah, and exactly. Welfare normally, when, has when some you're stigma, when you're being told of, mm-hmm. you're better off staying home, you know, you're yeah. you're you're in some senses a hero there. Yeah, which which to go back to Jill's language of accusing them, accusing Republicans of thinking they're lazy. Maybe Republicans, some Republicans do or don't. If you don't think that increasing the amount of money people get from unemployment is going to make more people, I don't know how many, I don't know where that threshold is for everybody, right? You have no way of knowing at what point that number is going to be high enough that it's better for them to be unemployed than it is for them to be employed in their, you know, in how they they weigh the benefits and costs of everything of their life and, and make that decision. But... There's no question that by increasing the amount of money going to people who are unemployed, you're going to increase the amount of people claiming that unemployment benefit. It's, it's, it's as, it's, it's as reliable as anything in the world that you add more reasons to do something or you add, you add incentives to do something. Um, as I say that more, I immediately thought there's, there's actually a study. This is a tangent. There's actually a study where they were talking about, uh, people donating blood and paying them. And they started to pay people to donate blood and they found that the people that they got less people than when they were asking it as a service. But anyway, that's a side story. Sometimes you can change the incentives and add incentives and it will backfire. This is not one of those times. They're looking for money out of work. They're looking for money out of the employment benefits. You increase the money. That's, that's going to almost always result in, in some people taking it. And that's going to increase unemployment straight up. Now, now, Dan, I know what what Jill's response to our statements would be, and I'll speak for her for a second. Hopefully, she doesn't mind. Obviously, people are people are choosing to work before because they'd rather work than starve, which means that these people are really acting out of desperation, and that these corporations are not explicitly but implicitly threatening their employees with death that they hold their lives in their hands and that by having increased unemployment benefits what you're doing is you're turning the tables in terms of who holds the power which is why she offers those solutions she's she's saying you keep unemployment at a higher rate which will then require companies to implement the kind of things she's talking about, a raised minimum yes. wage, um, having childcare options, having a humane working condition, having paid leave. All of these things are the kinds of things that these companies are already doing because of the 
the turntables. And so that's a fantastic thing and a beautiful thing and something that should happen because what was happening before was really just oppression. Right. Right. From the, from the argument of, uh, of a lot of communists and socialists, what they're, the, before the bargaining power is so unequal is how they would say it. The bargaining power between an employer negotiating with an employee is so in favor of the employer because the person depends on making a living of some kind, like you were saying, and this, and the other person, the employee, the employer has control of all the capital and things because of capitalism. Um, the result is, uh, that they never actually get to negotiate well because everything's so stacked against them. Mm-hmm. This, this isn't, this is a, the, the relationship between them may be voluntary, but only at the most superficial level. Ultimately, at the basis of it, the system is coercing the worker to seek employment and they don't have that much power over the negotiation. And by giving them these unemployment benefits, you, you are actually giving them the freedom to say no. And if they're free to say no, then they can actually begin to negotiate. And, and of course, there's a, there's a few different responses, which is, first of all, they, they were free to say no bef- before because there were other jobs out there. When you look at, when you look at, especially when you look at lower paying jobs, the lower the pay, the more job opportunities there are. And so, you know, when you, when you are making close to minimum wage and you're working at McDonald's, you can leave McDonald's and work for not just any other fast food place, but you can work for many different industries doing many different things and often are eligible to make more money or have different better benefits that people are many times not taking advantage of for a number of reasons, mostly because, like I said before, because they don't they don't know how. You know, they don't have the tools and resources to to find those opportunities and to have the the negotiation skills to fight for what they're <laughs> worth, which is something right. that that I would be more than interested in in coming up with support systems that actually help employees fight for what they're worth. I think that's a fantastic endeavor. But yes, <clears throat> there are technology companies that are that are investing in in means to try and improve that the ability of people to of businesses to find what they're looking for and employers to find the right businesses that can actually offer them what they what they're worth but but really what i think what i think jill is saying is predicated on an idea and the idea is is that everyone has a right to to a good paying job everyone has a right to to a lot of things everyone has a right to it you know she t- she listed them you know because these are things she wants the government to do you know have a, a well-paying job having you know universal child care you know it's something that biden's already talked about you know child care is a right you know having a having a boss that treats them like adults instead of supervising their every action you know um, having predictable work schedules, having paid leave. These are all things that are that are being considered rights more and more often, which means mm-hmm. that everyone should be guaranteed them. And it's it's predicated on this idea. And the idea is is that we, in many ways, are no longer living in a in a world of scarcity, that we're in a post scarcity world, and that we have so many resources that everyone deserves a, a piece of the pie. And and I just think that's that's so wrong. And it's wrong because because it's not true. Because 
we live in a scarcity world. We live in a world where if we don't create the resources, then we're not going to have those resources. And a great example of that is inflation. So um, wage wages are on the rise right now. Um, I've got an article <clears throat> from uh, Fortune that talks about, and this is very recent, talks about the fact that uh, – you know, talking about all these same issues, how how companies are working hard to to lure employees, they're doing different benefits, different things, and as well, wage growth, median wage growth has increased because of that. But then they talk about the fact that <clears throat> sorry, I don't know what's happening to my voice. But they talk about the fact <laughs> I've gotten that you sick just just just, just virtually. Yeah, this is dangerous. I'm going to quote from them here. Inflation is another complicating factor that's limiting the benefits of pay raises. Consumer prices surged 5.4% in June from a year ago, the fastest pace since 2008. According to a Peterson Institute study, inflation-adjusted compensation for all civilian workers is now lower than it was in December 2019. And and I thought this was nuts. In fact, I went and verified on... um, on the government site to, to see if the consumer price index was actually saying that or if they were getting it from somewhere else. And sure enough, that is the official CPI for June is 5.4%. In other words, things cost 5.4% more than they did a year ago. So unless you've gotten more than a 5.4% increase in pay in the last year, then you actually have less now than you did a year ago. And this doesn't even factor in the fact that that the government has always been selective <laughs> in how they've covered inflation. And so yeah. often that number is higher than what they say it is. But assuming that number is accurate and actually is 5.4%, then that means that as a whole, as a people, we are actually making less than we were in December 2019. You know, when you've factored in inflation and you've seen that when you go to the store, you know, milk is more expensive, gas is more expensive, large numbers of different items are more expensive and that adds up and that definitely adds up. And so, and, and the reason, and the reason is complicated, but a simple and very logical explanation is you look at the stimulus packages, you look at all of these government services that have piled on the unemployment all of these other things and and they've definitely so i'll wait for dan to get back dan you're back good you look at all the government money that's been spent and a large chunk of that has actually been spent and incentivize people to not work, which means less people are working and less is being produced. You know, you've got those people on unemployment. So you've got a large number of people who weren't working before. And as a result, less is being produced and prices go up. And obviously it's more complicated than that in many different ways. But but even in this utopian vision that's being described now about him, how employees are so much better off now because of all of these things, they're really not. And that's disturbing. It really is disturbing that people right, right now, I mean, we talked about it before with our inflation episode, people should feel like they're better off now. Yeah, they, they should. Uh, I mean, they're getting free money handed out to them, right? They're getting all kinds of things. A lot of people, I personally know people who quit their jobs and were getting paid significantly more by unemployment. Um, 
and yeah, yeah, wages are going up, as you said, because of the bargaining power and things, businesses are having to pay more. Um, part of that is just adjusting for inflation. Part of it is that they, they're desperate for workers. And so they're, they're making compromises and things. Yeah. But when push it, comes to shove, are we actually better off than we were a year ago, especially people right. in the lower income brackets? You know, we're not yes. worried about how well Jeff Bezos is doing here. We're talking about <laughs> the people who are working an hourly job. You know, whether right. that's $7 an hour or $15 an hour, they're in very right. similar situations. Right. And the answer is no. The answer is unequivocally no. And the answer was predictably no. And you could have predicted it. Even even if employment were good right now, it, the answer would be no, because production was cut so much. Like that was, this is, you don't add three plus four and then add three plus three and expect it to be bigger than three plus four, mm-hmm. right? You don't expect... You don't expect to be able to have more by doing less without, without rapid advances in technology, right? If we, if we production goes down, no, and yeah, and our standard of living goes and down. That's exactly what we have in this past year and a half is large chunks of the economy were shut down. And in order to fix that, the government sent huge amounts of money into the economy. And because of that, the economy is, is boosted. And now as we get out of these lockdowns and a lot of these things, you know, the economy is, is getting back to normal. And on paper, it says that we're actually better off than we were before because of all this extra money being thrown at us in yeah. various ways, including unemployment. But in reality, when you have the country shut down for a period of time and then you have a portion of the country still on unemployment who aren't producing, there are going to be consequences for that. It's just right. it's just inevitable. Right. Right. It's it's and it's strange that I mean, none, I don't think anything we've said here is even complicated. Uh, perhaps, perhaps getting into the nitty gritty of, of a scale of values in the way that human action works is, is something that isn't common knowledge. But if you thought about it for a second, you said, you know, we're making less stuff. I predict that we will have less stuff. <laughs> like, we're producing less stuff. We're going to be able to consume less stuff. That's, mm-hmm. There's nothing complicated there. Mm-hmm. I wanted to clarify one thing in, in relation to that. There are times where you produce more as a country in in terms of like raw GDP, but you have less stuff. And that's World War II is an excellent example. Right, right. War is the best example of that because all of your production turns towards things that you're not using for <laughs> things that don't improve your life. A tank does not feed me. Mm-hmm. It may it may stop bad guys and be necessary in some circumstances, but it's not going to house my family, mm-hmm. and it's not going to feed my children, mm-hmm. and it's not going to keep me warmer or entertained or on and on and on. Right? It's not it's not something I want. It's something that will be necessary in some circumstances, and it will be at the top of my wants, <laughs> the top of my hierarchy of, of values, in circumstances where it's needed. And the rest of the time, it is entirely a uh, a waste. It's, it's in the way. It's a really expensive way to not make your life better. Um, that's, that's not, so in some cases, because of malinvestment, because the, the resources are going into some things, you can have the overall production go up, but the, the living standard go down. But that's not what's happening here. The, the production of things that we do want went down. The production of things that were improving our lives went down. Naturally, we're going to have less of it. And now you add to that further financial incentives, 
What's weird is this could become a weird, uh, this could become a circle, right? This is, this is something of a cycle. We're, we're spinning around in a circle. We've reduced production. We've given a lot of free money. That causes inflation. People feel like they don't need to go back to work. Part of the inflation is a scarcity of goods because people weren't working. <laughs> the longer this continues, the longer this effect continues, and the longer, <laughs> let me just say the same thing several times in a row. The longer this continues, the more the, the cycle, the more the whirl, what am I looking for? An analogy here, a whirlpool. The further we get pulled into the whirlpool, the worse it gets, right? The more times you go around, the closer you get to the center, the worse it gets. And this thing is spiraling. It's good. It's getting worse the longer it persists. Yeah. And so, and so really what, what Dan's saying there is that, you know, in the moment, it looks good. In the moment, it's awesome to have these employees have, have leverage and have power, but you have to look at the cost and the cost could have very real long-term consequences. I mean, right now in the short term, the consequences are that those, that leverage and that power is resulting in increased wages that are almost completely illusory. They're not real. That, that you are working at McDonald's making $12 an hour. Now you're working at McDonald's and making $13 an hour. But once you factor in that 5%, you're actually only making pennies an hour more. And so really right, you're making right. the same. And so it's not actually a huge improvement for you or you're making less, you know, depending on what the specific scenario is. And, but that's not the end of it. You know, as Dan's saying, it does create a spiral. And what that spiral means is that it could do long-term damage to the economy recovering. You know, you go back and look at the Great Depression, which went on for years and years and years. And, and people have argued that that the reason it went on so long was was because it was so bad and that it would have gone on longer if FDR hadn't done all the things that he did. But in reality, what he did is he created work programs where you had huge populations who were getting paid but were not producing anything, that were not producing anything directly usable. And to argue that that increased the economic prosperity of the United States is insane. <laughs> is insane it but is. that's what was argued then and that's what's believed now is right. that it's still what you the read economy is books. struggling and so the solution is is to have six million americans dig holes in the ground and then fill them back up and pay them a, a good wage and the economy will thrive and that's the equivalent right. of what we're doing with unemployment we're not having them dig holes but we're not having them do anything and the argument yeah, is yeah. That that's going to make things better in the long run and that's just that's just crazy. You know, you can I'm not saying we shouldn't help those who are in need. That's that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that when you're not producing anything and you're consuming, you're not producing anything, you're just consuming and that has a cost. And it, right. And that's just that's just the reality of it. I mean, my 2-year-old is is consuming and not producing, and I don't think the economy is better off right now because because of that. <laughs> it's a cost that I as a producer am accepting that cost. I'm eating that cost because I want to. And that's that's okay, and that's the reality of it. You know, we can help those who are struggling, but understand that helping them is a cost. It's not actually a miracle cure. Because <laughs> if that were the case, we somehow. should all go on unemployment. <laughs> right, right, right. And it's it's weird. It's a it's certainly a spin. Um 
related to this conversation that we're having about this, the unemployment, one of the things it parallels, it's an interesting economic discussion in obviously of vast significance in today's society. And it's, it's the way that unions work and the way that union strikes work. We, the way we're doing it now, we've got massive amounts of people. Anyone who qualifies can get unemployment. Um, in a sense, uh, and, and what that allows them to do is that allows them to say no to the work, right? We're saying we're not going to work. One of the things that unions were big for, especially originally, was that you'd pay them a portion of your money and they would set aside a, a savings of some kind that, that then once it was time to go on strike or necessary to go on strike, the union would draw from that savings and it would pay each person a wage out of it. Now, it was, I think generally it was less than what you were getting paid while you were working for obvious reasons, but it was something and it was enough to get by on and it helped you through the strike. And yeah, the idea was very union to union. Yes. Yes. Obviously they've got control over that and, and what was acceptable depends. Um, and what that allows them to do is as a group of an employer, say no to the work. To say, yeah, no, the conditions are unacceptable. Right, right. It makes them independent enough that they can, they can, they don't feel like they have to go to work or starve. And that's, that's useful. That's a useful tool. Absolutely. People should do that. People should set aside money. People should try to get to a position as rapidly as possible where they can, they can put themselves in a position where they, they don't have to work so badly that they can't find more opportunities and that they can't move to a better opportunity and they can't negotiate and mm-hmm. be able to, and be able to tell your boss, I'm not working. I'm not doing that for those wages mm-hmm. or something along mm-hmm. those lines. Um, that's, that's good. That's, <laughs> you should do that. <laughs> I think that's great. Uh, unions obviously would cross the lines a lot of times when they would do things like, well, other people want to work for those wages and, They'd, they'd pull in workers from other places. And anyway, the, there's, there's a lot more that could be said about that. But, but in effect, that's the kind of bargaining power that one of the big ways that unions gave them bargaining power. It allowed them to unite and it allowed them to do, do things like that. And again, that can be, that can be very good in the right circumstances. As a society, and, and would we say that it's good for them not to be working? Well, not in the short run, mm-hmm. certainly not during the time, maybe mm-hmm. in the long run. Yeah. Maybe for them in the long run. Uh, but this is, yeah, you don't want a bunch of gun- people on unemployment. It's just generally not a good idea. And the financial incentives matter. They're, they're the thing that matters the most. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts on that? There was one other topic we wanted to, to kind of jump into on this that touches on this well i want to i want to build on that human rights idea i mentioned earlier because because my my rebuttal is is that first of all we don't live in a in a scarcity in a in a a post-scarcity world world. we we, right but but we have this illusion of it we we go to walmart and there's abundance Mm -hmm. right we look at the people we look at the wealthy people and we look at the size of their houses we look at the feasts they can hold the lavish parties these things all of this gives you a very real sense that the problem is not that we don't have enough. The problem is that we're not sharing it properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's and the if we just shared it properly, yes. Because the idea is is that is that Walmart has all that food, and so if that's true, Dan, if 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 we're distributing it in improperly, what it means is that either number one, 
the rich have huge supplies, huge pantries just full of peanut butter that they can't even eat <laughs> because it's too much. Or they, they, they spend money on the super expensive peanut butter, which takes three times as much energy to produce and therefore is the equivalent of three times as much peanut butter that would have gone somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. They just need to make some compromises in their or lifestyle. Or that Walmart is actually throwing away huge – huge swaths of inventory because they're not able to to sell it like you know like they talk about like, like subway throws away their bread at the end of the night and that could go to people who need it you know as, as an example that's commonly given but the idea yeah. is that there's all this waste because because our main goal is capitalism and 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 greed and all of these accumulation things. yeah and that because of that all these resources are being thrown away when that argument is so far from the truth, in reality, Walmart is one of the most efficient companies out there. They actually, they actually were were one of the first to have a complicated inventory tracking system, so that every single time you purchase something, it was checked electronically on a list, so that they knew exactly how much to order when they reordered and exactly how quickly they needed to so that there was always that product on the shelf, but never too much. And it was really an amazing system that meant that even though those shelves are stock full all the time, the food was incredibly quickly going from where it was being produced to that Walmart into your home. And, and that's actually what capitalism has done is allowed us to have such incredible in, such incredible technology and incredible resources and Walmart did that in order to make a buck. It was purely selfish that Walmart did that and allowed for so many people to get things so quickly and efficiently. And right. And compared to other countries that is abundant, it is, right? To go is. to see a well-stocked Walmart to be able to buy and to have options is abundant. It's it's very normal in large parts of the world and in very normal in the United States in the past for there to be shortages of things. That's just an inevitable yes. part of life because that's what the real world is. When you're out there and you're growing your crops, you know, when the <laughs> harvest comes in, you've got abundance and then you got to find ways to save that harvest to make it through the winter and make it through to the next year. You know, that's why you have canning mm -hmm. and you've got uh, you know, everyone has a cellar in their home because we do not have food year round. We do not have the option to get whatever we need whenever we want it. Instead, what you have is extreme scarcity, which is why it feels like we have so much now. But in reality, we're not far away from that scarcity. No, we're not. We if you if the supply chains were interrupted within a couple weeks, the grocery stores would be bare. People don't realize how how close that timing is mm -hmm. how in the nick of time every restock in a grocery store actually mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. it's it's a very well and, the, and we saw the, it with covid so where we efficient. ran out of things because there were slight <laughs> yes, interruptions right, right, right. in the supply chain and all of a sudden the baking aisle in walmart's and smith's and other stores was completely empty you couldn't buy flour you couldn't buy sugar you couldn't buy most canned foods right. for like a month and a half it was crazy it was right. crazy. You get a slight uptick in demand for toilet paper and it's and suddenly it, and it gone. And it was gone. Yeah. I mean, the the argument that we don't live in a scarcity world is simply flawed. And it's that we have so many trappings of this modern world that we forget that when it comes down to it, whether or not you you work at a minimum wage job, we are all working out of desperation. We are all working because if we don't, 
we don't eat. Because that's the only reason it makes sense for us to work is because we have to. Because if I have to choose between working and spending time with my family – and that and that's the only choice. There's no there's no strings attached to either end. I'm gonna choose my family every time. Or I'm gonna choose playing video games or going or going, you know, skateboarding or whatever else I'm interested in. You know, I'm gonna go on a hike. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go see the Metropolitan Museum. I'm gonna go whatever. Wait, where does talking to me about politics come in, Brad? Well, I'm already doing you, that. You I wasn't gonna mention that one. <laughs> Fair enough. No, no, because because honestly, Dan, if if we lived in a in a post scarcity world, I wouldn't be talking <laughs> be to you. Nothing we have for nothing us to talk to be about. Here, yeah, because we yeah we'd come here and we'd we'd come here and we'd complain about the people who are in the way. That's what we do, right? That's what and that's what large swaths of the population do. They get together and their their conversations about politics are how so and so is screwing everybody over by holding on to everything. by holding on to everything. If they just let go of what they had, we could all be living in a utopia right now. And and if that were the case. I really think they would do it. You know what I mean? I think people always, you know, do those those, you know, mental arithmetic where they're like if Jeff Bezos gave everyone in the United States, you know, $100,000, he'd still have billions left over. If that were the case, he'd actually do it, but 9 times out of 10, the people doing their math they're doing it wrong. You know, they've overlooked <laughs> something and we've talked about the fact that it's tied up in stock and the actual businesses that the money's not even yeah. real. The money that Jeff Bezos has right. isn't even His- real. His value is not money he could spend. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not thing. It's not. You couldn't. He's not sitting on as you as you made it. He's not sitting on billions of dollars of peanut butter <laughs> that, that could go to hungry people, mm-hmm. or billions of dollars of houses yeah. that people could be living. Yeah, he just or got billions he's just of got dollars like, of goods. There, there are whole that neighborhoods that are sitting empty because Jeff Bezos owns them, and he refused to let anyone live in those homes. But, yeah, what he's got is significant power over a very productive enterprise, and that. That power is so valuable that people are willing to pay an absurd amount of money for it. But it's not goods you could just consume. It's not things that you could live in. It's not clothing mm-hmm. or houses or mm-hmm. or any of those things. And if you did try and consume it, you you convert Amazon warehouses into housing and such. That'd be fine. I mean, you could you could get a lot of use out of them. But it'd be a fraction of the value for what they're built for. Yeah. It's a fraction of, of the – and you'd be killing all kinds of productive enterprises. Mm-hmm. And, and that production, as we've been saying, is what, is what allows us to continue and be prosperous. I, I keep wondering, Brad. I keep thinking that eventually, eventually the U.S. is going to run into a real hardship. COVID has been a hardship. No, no – don't get me wrong. I don't want to belittle the things that we've, we've gone through or that people have suffered through. For some people, it's been, it's been as bad as, well, really about as bad as anything can be. Um, they've lost family members. They've lost jobs. They've lost all kinds of things. Yeah. But it's but been I mean, surprisingly would disrupt. mild. It could yeah. have been, it could have been a whole lot worse. I mean, you compare it to. It could to, have been a whole lot worse. I mean, you compare it even to, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, it could have been a whole lot worse. Right. We're going to run into something. That will seriously cripple our productive capacities. Something that really ends, it, just for a couple weeks even, something that killed electricity in the United States for a couple weeks would really, I think, wake people up to how close we are to being destroyed by Mother Nature at mm-hmm. any given moment. Mm-hmm. Like how, how, for all of our technology and for all of our knowledge and for all of our prosperity, we are not that far. Like you said, we are ultimately working to avoid starving. 
And it's, it's a, it's not that far away. That's not an, that's not a joke. And that's not a, that's slightly hyperbolic, but only slightly. Right. It's, it's, it's very close. Yeah. That, that when it comes down to it, it's still man versus nature. And it is. And we're wise not to forget that. And which is why, and it's worth bringing up because when you act as if we're in a post scarcity world, then your whole goal is to divide up these resources we have. And the problem with yeah. that is that you forget about how those resources are being made. And if you forget about how those resources are being made, it's very easy for you to accidentally interrupt those processes just like we're seeing yeah. right now with unemployment benefits has an effect it has an effect that interrupts those processes just like the lockdowns have had an effect just like the stimuluses have had an effect that have all yeah. resulted in the fact that we have super high inflation right now that could continue for a while that we have a housing crisis that is resulting in people not being able to to live in homes we've got you know the the eviction moratorium where people are able to stay in homes without yes. paying a dime and that has negative consequences as well you know all of right. these things take their toll and you need to look at them because we don't live in a post scarcity world we have we to deal with these realities yeah, yeah that moratorium on on uh, evictions is a huge one especially since most like most rentals and things are not owned by big companies mm -hmm. and things they're they're owned by by uh entrepreneurial people who've saved and managed to get a loan yeah, and are they're hoping typically, to be able to pay it off. They're typically the landlords, they're middle class and this is their this is their long-term investment in order to to retire. You know, this is their plan to try yeah. and make it out of the rat race. Yeah, so you you tell people, we're going to give you a lot of money on unemployment. More perhaps more than you're making. And you know what? Don't worry about the rent. Yeah. You can give your landlord that 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 capitalist landlord of yours, the middle finger. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and who knows how long that'll be, right? <laughs> and, and people have, a lot of people have taken, have straight up taken advantage of that. Yep. Others have had to use it and probably didn't prefer not to, but, but some have, have really abused it. But in both cases, there's a cost, you know, and we have to look at these costs as we're considering all of this. And and what we have right now is people look at this great resignation as all they're seeing is upsides and they're refusing to see any of the costs. And and that's the disturbing aspect. It is the disturbing aspect. And, and isn't if you were an entrepreneur, going back to our economic the way you look at things economically, and this is a topic that we'll we will go into detail another time. If you're an entrepreneur and you're looking at increasing costs of labor, people demanding more and more goods, at some point, what they demand is going to be less expensive or comparably expensive to autonomization. Mm -hmm. At some point, they're going to say, you know what? We could, we could make this autonomous through some kind of electrical thing we could get. We can take orders electronically. We can do more and more orders online so we don't need people answering phones and talking to, you know, less cashiers, more payments online. We're going to do more self-checkout aisles was a big one that Brad and I have been looking at today uh, and over the, this last week, how Walmart is moving more and more towards self-checkout aisles. Yeah. Partially in the, they, the name they, the reason they give is, is for speed. Yeah. Just right. make it easier speed for the Speed and convenience for the customer. And no doubt that is more convenient in some ways. It's also less convenient in other ways. And no doubt it is faster in the sense that you can have more going on at once. 
and less employee involvement. Mm -hmm. And that's the key. (laughs) One employee can oversee many self-checkouts. Whereas if they're running it, if they're scanning everything themselves, not so much. And that allows them to pay the few employees they have more and end up in the long run actually paying less to Mm -hmm. employees Mm -hmm. because electronics cost less to maintain. Yeah. They don't have to pay them wages. No, and that'll be and that'll be another another shift that that was already occurring but is occurring yes. more quickly because of these artificial incentives. And that's going to have it's definitely going to have a short-term cost to those who are disrupted by it. You know, in the long run, I think automation is going to improve the economy because yeah. Because we're going to be producing more <laughs> for less labor, which is absolutely good. Yeah. But in the short run, there's definitely going to be a cost and specifically a cost to people who are making lower wages. If you have, you know, if you have what, what Jill wanted and you have a federal minimum wage of $15 an hour and the unemployment uh, benefits expire right as a bunch of companies introduce automation, the result could be that you have millions of Americans who are out of work because there are too many people looking for too few jobs and they can't get on unemployment because they've already maxed out their state's unemployment requirement. And you've got a bunch of people who have been on an unemployment until their maximum amount, which means they can't use unemployment anymore. The safety net, which was supposed to be a safety net, has been abused and can't be used as a safety net anymore. And you could have a serious problem for a yeah. whole bunch of people in the short run. And that would not surprise me if that happened. And it also wouldn't surprise me if it was blamed on capitalism once again. You know, this is once again <laughs> a failing of capitalism, this problem. And this is proof that automation was the danger when really it was all these artificial situations that were <laughs> this artificial situation that's been created right now yeah. because of all these things. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, since we brought it up, let me just say that I think autonomization is good across the board. As Brad was saying, there are short-term costs for the person uh, who who is replaced by some kind of autonomization. But in general, autonomization is going to make society more prosperous and should be encouraged as much as possible. And by encouraged, I don't mean government incentives. Please, please stop trying to do that <laughs> in case in case this this episode and virtually every other episode hasn't made clear that the consequences are there's almost always vast no, unintended when, when, consequences. When we say when you say problems. encourage, what you mean is stop getting in the way. Just when, like yeah, most what other I mean things. is stop blocking it. Right, right. Um, and we we'll have to do an episode on autonomization, get into detail of, of why we think that uh, that the future of AI and things is not actually going to well. <laughs> AI poses a threat in a different way. There are two ways. One, it'll take jobs and one, it'll, it'll, uh, try and kill everybody in the world. Um, that second <laughs> way is a different discussion than the first one, obviously. These are two different problems. Uh, but in, in reference to it taking jobs and to people being replaced through those things, um, we'll get into detail on, on the economics of that sometime. But it's, uh, it is not. And if not... you want information on the, the second one, just watch the Terminator series. They should answer most <laughs> of your questions. <laughs> I, uh, there's some great sci-fi on that second one. And, and with that, thank you for listening. Have a good one. This has been an episode of Rethinking Politics. You can find us on all of the major podcasting apps or on YouTube. 
You can reach out to us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com where you can support us via Patreon. Thanks and have a wonderful day.